0: You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 30. Welcome, everybody. In today's episode, we'll be discussing authentic leadership with Dr. Matt Hertini. We'll be covering building relationships with authenticity, planning for the unknown, creating a unified organization in a polarized world, and much, much more. Leadership is about vision. It's about creating a vision and sharing that vision with others in a way that inspires them to walk with you towards its fulfillment. Along the way, leaders encourage, motivate, guide, and even challenge people to bring their best each and every day. And it's all done through conversations. That's what this show is about. Better conversations for better leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Matthew Hurtini. Dr. Matt is the Associate Dean of Undergraduate Programs for the School of Business and Director of the Doctorate of Business Administration at Concordia University, Wisconsin. He's also the Director of Morph Advisors Consulting. Welcome to the show, Matt. Yeah, thank you, John. Thanks
1: for the opportunity to to be here and um, to talk about employee engagement and talk about leadership, uh, two, two very important topics to me.
0: Excellent. I look at looking forward to our, our discussion and I wanted to know if we could trace it back a little bit first and talk a little bit about how you first became interested in leadership and in business in general. I think we all have our own journeys
1: and pathways that gets to leadership. Some of us may have had ex- negative experiences. Some of us may have had positive experiences. Either way, a lot of us kind of take a look at, at leadership a little bit different. I had the opportunity and this seems a little, I'm um, going way back in history, um, back to probably when I was 12, when I was in 4-H. Um, which a lot of people think it's about animals and farms and and it, it does have roots there, but I had the opportunity to study 4-H, uh, study leadership in the 4-H programs. And I uh, feel very blessed that I had the opportunity to do that to meet with executives and business owners and corporate CEOs and, and government officials during that, that journey. Uh, and that really led me into um, what, is now called like servant leadership and, and what is called um, looking at coaching and mentoring skills and, and how to help people be productive. So my journey of leadership really started when I was 12. And then some of that leadership training actually allowed me to start my own business in an entertainment business when I was about 15 years old. Um, and I had the chance and the opportunity to manage and lead employees, um, work with um, expenses, expenses and incomes, and, and just kind of monitor the budget so that in that aspect and then when I got out of high school and, and got into more of a um, professional role because at that point the little thing called iPod was coming out and I sold my entertainment business um, at that point but really started looking at um, how successful change was and why was some change not successful and some change was successful and that really led me in the journey of of
0: studying change and studying employee engagement. So you, you started your first business when you're 15, you said it was in the, in the entertainment industry. What is that? Yeah, it
1: was. So, um, originally started as a, a disc jockey service and, um, started it in, and actually it was tied back to Ford's, but yeah, so started as a, as a DJ business and then it morphed into DJ sound entertainment. Um, so music venues, and then also videos, um, for weddings, and then technology evolved it, and we saw the tech, technology was evolving. So we kind of got out at the, at the height before the iPods were released. And, um, at that point people started plugging in iPods for wedding receptions. And, um, so we kind of, um, we made the decision to, to sell and reinvest.
0: Oh, awesome. So did you actually sell the business and divest it at that point? We did. Yes, we did. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, but, so it sounds like technology, the, the iPod kind of was a disruptor and, and kind of changed the business plan, and, and then you became interested in, in, in change and, and how all that works. What, is, what are some of the biggest challenges you think leaders and companies are facing today around change? Technology, which interrupted your business uh, or impacted your business, certainly are, is an issue. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges companies are facing today? Um, well,
1: obviously the easy answer is COVID, um, but it really goes back before that, and it's something that we've talked about before. is something that's that's referred to as scenario planning. How do you plan for the unknown, right? How do you how do you make action plans not knowing exactly what's coming down the pike, and and that's something that scenario planning helps you with. So um, strategic planning kind of takes you from point A to point B. Scenario planning helps with that to so, say life doesn't go from point A to point B disruptions occur, right, COVID occurs, technology occurs, Uh, stuff that we would say in the human resource development world um, would say the external environment is one of the biggest uh, predictors for the need for change. Um, And it could be that technology, it could be a virus, it could be changing a political system. But when you look at change, the biggest thing is trying to plan for the unknowns, but also limit the resistance. Uh, So the question kind of came up in in a, a meeting I was at is how did we just recently uh, make such a, a massive change in the business world? You know, how did we go from trying to figure out how to keep our doors open and, and now people are wearing masks and we're not used to that. And essentially that, that question comes down to if people understand the risks and if people understand the need for change, they're more willing to change, right? So you, you limit that resistance. So the key now is in the business world is how do you, how do you make change when you don't always have a pandemic to help make that, that change or foster that change? How do, you, how, do you, how do you educate your employees and your stakeholders to say, we have to take this next step. And if we don't take this next step, this is probably what's gonna to happen to our organization. So essentially for my business when I was 15 and, and sold it a couple of years after that, um, we, we saw that technology was gonna be a disruptor, right? So we, we knew we had to change. Um, and, and we had a couple of choices, and, and we, we picked the choice that at that point we were going to, to sell and, and reinvest. Um, if we would have stayed in the business um, and, and kind of put a blind eye to the technology, there would have been a very strong chance that we would have been bankrupt and, and didn't have any money to reinvest. So it really comes down to foresight, which is a scenario planning, um, and, and really comes down to getting your stakeholders to buy
0: into the need for change. Are, so the strategic level of planning, is that the biggest picture? And then it goes down to scenario planning and then tactical beneath that, or are there other levels in between that and your model and the way you look at it? Yeah, so the way I look at it
1: is strategic planning helps you on, on like a three to five year basis, um, really looking at where, where your key metrics want to be your KPIs, um, solidifying your, your mission and vision. Um, which all helps to produce the culture that you want, right? And it helps helps to get the systems theory in place, people working together to make sure that the company's moving in the right direction. Scenario planning comes in, and it's trying to take a look more at a five to ten year plan. So you're not really looking at, you're not redeveloping KPIs per se in scenario planning. What you're trying to do is to say where what could disrupt our organization or what could really help our organization down the road. Um, so um, talk about the oil crisis in the 1970s um, scenario planning was off, often, it was used there and used very successful to predict that there was an oil crisis coming um, scenario planning has been used in, in military tactics for, for um, a long time and, and been successful there. And and we see countless other scenarios that have been played out and have been successful. The biggest thing is, um, what you're trying to do is take two to four different scenarios and, and what what I like to say is scenarios that have high impact and high probability of occurring, right? So you're spending your time on something that's going to have a, a major impact to your organization and a major impact or a major probability of it happening. And then you kind of subdivide it down in, into those actions so that you're spending your time with something that there's a good chance you're going to see. So. Down south in the Gulf, um, maybe some of the scenario planning could be around what happens if a hurricane comes um, through Disney World? You know, how do we respond to that? Or what happens if the tourism industry um, dies off and how does, how does something like the resort communities stay active? And, and that's kind of what you're seeing a little bit with COVID. So when we talk about scenario planning, you probably wouldn't have been able to identify COVID-19 specifically um, but there's enough history to show that there's there's been pandemics before, and there's been major international sicknesses before, and and depending on what industry you're in, that could have been something that's bubbled up in this scenario plan. So then you develop action plans to that, so that when something similar happens, or when the iPod comes out, now you have a plan in place, so you're not making uh, emotional decisions at a very high stress time. You take that plan off the shelf, and you say, okay, we've already developed an action plan to this. And now we know how to respond to this um, versus bringing everybody around together saying, um, um, how, how do we handle this in a time of crisis? It's already been solved. Or in higher education, we talk about this a lot is how do you, if, if your customer base, or maybe that's even put it into like a restaurant industry. If your customer base grows by 50, uh, 50 customers each night, that's usually a good thing that happens, right? That's usually like revenue. However, it may not be a good thing if you're not prepared for it. So if you if you, if you you see your, your customer base significantly increasing and you don't have a plan on how to grow with it, um, that could also cause you to go bankrupt. In higher education, we often talk about if our population of students grow by, let's say, 200, how do we respond to that? Or if it decreases by 10%, how do we respond to that, right? And then you're having those plans in place. So they... I call them like sisters and brothers. It's hard to have one without the other. Sure. It's hard to have a strategic plan and not have a scenario plan.
0: So the scenario planning, please forgive me, I think I had then my model inverse that actually the, so the strategy is going from point A to point B and then the scenario planning is considering the other factors Technology, environmental, political, all the things you talked about before that can impact our ability to get from point A to point B. And what happens if?
1: Correct. Correct.
0: If we're growing our uh, customer base by 50 a night, that seems great, but we have capacity issues. And then all of a sudden we have a line out the door. And what are we going to do about that? Uh, same thing with students and, and capa- that's really interesting. So, something like this, tying it back into the vision and missioning and creating buy in. When you have a big stick, like the pandemic and risk of fatality and long-term illness and things like that, people are pretty willing to change. And so this idea of, of creating getting on the same page, you can't always account on a huge pandemic to influence that behavior. What are some other tools that leaders have to help create buy-in at an organizational level beyond you know creating these type of um, global catastrophes? So that's a really... Great question. As, as we talk
1: about leadership, as we talk about management, and we talk about principles that you would learn in like an MBA program or a DBA program, um, I really believe that you need to blend the methods of management and leadership together into one. It's it's hard. It's like scenario planning and strategic planning. It's, it's kind of hard to have one without the other. If you want to minimize resistance and you want to try to get buy-in into where the company needs to to evolve to, it starts years before that planning starts. It really starts with, with the CEOs, the, the C-suites and the supervisors building trust with the employees, um, building that trust and relationship so that when you have to make a rapid change um, that maybe is not fully understood by the stakeholders, that they have trust that you're being led in the right direction, right? You may not be comfortable with the change, but if you can trust the people that are helping to lead the change and evoke the change, um, they're more likely to support you. If they don't support you and they don't support the change, even if it's the right change, in theory, um, change could be disastrous for not only the the organization, but the customers and the service base that, that they're serving.
0: So start with the relationship and it has to really be starting now, like if you haven't already established that, that's important because you can't always plan on when that's going to happen unless you're doing really good scenario planning, in which case you've thought through those particular issues that are there. So building relationship, building trust. What about communication? Is, is there such a thing as over communication in terms of relationship building with within the organization?
1: Yeah, so trust, for me, trust and communication kind of go hand in hand. So trust is kind of like the umbrella, right? So underneath trust, you would have communication. And in communication, I mean, it's got to be authentic communication. Um, Communication where you are um, developing a sense of understanding of what's occurring. So maybe showing your financial pictures to some extent, um, showing what's occurring in in the marketplace, Um, having townhouses and, and, and allowing people to, to speak and ask questions that, that you as a leader may not have even thought about, which just helps make your case better. And also looking at taking those critical voices that you know that has trust of their peers, um, but aren't going to be the yes people all the time and, and getting them in the room and and, and really having some dialogue and, and really talking through about this is where we are currently. This is where we think we need a head to. This is the implications that we might have. And, and what are your thoughts? What do you think? Do you think this would be a good fit for our organization? Do you think this is going to be a good fit for, for the people that buy our services? And, and what do you think are going to be some of the stumbling blocks? And, and just by getting everybody in, on board
0: in that communication plan helps build that trusting relationship. So embracing the critical voices, the the naysayers, the devil's advocates, is, is that done privately? Is that done publicly? Or both?
1: Um, both. Um, sometimes it's one and one. Um, I've seen a lot of success as working with some consulting jobs that um, doing it publicly, like asking for people to come out, publishing minutes, having having critical conversations and meetings, um, and and I've seen. I've seen the difference between what was transformational change and transactional change, right? Meaning that we're going to get the whole, we're, we're going to, instead of just saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to take a little bit extra longer. We're going to vet out our ideas, get some ideas that may, that we may not have even thought about as leaders. Um, but also try to get the stakeholders on, on board with that change so that, uh,
0: they support it and, and they're going to be a champions of it themselves seems like there'd be a lot of research that supports greater ownership when you involve people throughout the organization versus just being a top down thing. Is, is that true? Or is that just a, my own thinking on the matter? It's, it's true. And especially now as we start talking a little bit more about the
1: millennial genera- generation and <clears throat> a little bit with the extras, um, there was a point in time that, um, you know, you wanted to come in, punch the clock, do your job, Punch the clock, go home, spend spend time with your family. Well, now it's a, has shifted where um, the millennial generation wants to, to be part of that discussion. Right? They want to they want to have their voices heard. They want to they want to be seen as somebody that can give back to their organization and 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 provide feedback in their own opinions to help make that organization more successful. Um, so I think it really comes down to uh, looking at how the business practices change. And largely changed because of values and beliefs that the that your staff brings to you, as they're trained in college, as they're trained uh, trained in university or wherever they come from. You you got to figure out um, what are their wants so that you can try to get to what your needs are as an organization.
0: I know you do a lot of work with and research around um, millennials and and the different value system and motivational hot buttons and things like that. What are some of the key differences between the millennials and other uh, demographic groups around what it means to be engaged and what they're really looking for in today's work environment?
1: Yeah. So one of the the definitions we're kind of working on as a, as a uh, research team right now is, is looking at the amount uh, in which an employee is willing to invest in the success of an organization. So if you really think think back to that is um, ask yourself the, the question of how committed are you to the success of the organization you're currently in, or, or how successful, or how committed are you to the success of the organization that you may have left, and, and why did you leave, right? So when we look at employee engagement, it comes down to a lot of vigor like what's their vigor and what's their absorption and what's their dedication, which really means how much time and energy do they, does the employee really want to put into the organization? Um, how much do they want to be absorbed at that? But how how dedicated are they? And and that becomes a really good question about retention, right? So there's a theory that if an employee is more engaged, the longer they will stay at your organization. Now, it's pretty impractical nowadays to think millennials and probably Gen, Gen Z's will stay more than five years. But if the average is around three years and we can keep them five years, we, just, we, just, um, we had a, a positive incline on that, right? Especially when you look at it, an employee leaving costs us about $20,000 a year or $20,000 every time an employee leaves. So we have to dive down and, and figure out what are some of these differences? between generational what we call generational cohorts so when we talk about years birth dates and, and when you see stuff in media and papers it's the years fluctuates but what really doesn't fluctuate is their life experiences and how those life experiences growing up really shape their beliefs and values so for me in my generation um you know, we want to work 60 hours a week. That's, that's like who we are. 50, 60 hours a week, we're working, we go to work, we come home and work and, and wake up when we work and, and we try to find time to sleep. And and we're giving back to the organization, you know, 100% um, at work and at home. And and that's kind of what drives us. Um, and that's good. That's a sign of engagement. But as we're studying millennials, it's a little bit different. They're willing to put in 50 hours, 45 hours a week. They're really no go above it. And beyond, but they don't wanna do that all the time. They wanna do it when they find value in it. That's to say um, you're uh agricultural business and it's it's high time, right? It's 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 wintertime, you're trying to get products out the door, um, to the shops for the for the farming farmers to buy. You understand that you're gonna have peaks and, and valleys. But they also wanna have time like that social life balance, right? They wanna they wanna make money so that they can they can go hiking and, and, and climbing and, and, and have social time. But they also want that idea of community, you know, building that sense of community, of um, going out and helping service projects, maybe even during paid time. Um, but they also really want the sense of acceptance. Um, back when I started in, in my professional career, I would hear um, older generations say, you know, kid, you're 18 years old, you can't. You can't talk now, and and they didn't know I was running a business, a successful business, and 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 had questions at the time: Is do I stay in the market and, and just run my business? Could would that be my professional career? Um, so that comment kind of comes back to say, you know, we need to take the time to figure out who our employees are and give them a voice and have that trust and relationships with millennials. We hear that one of the largest. Engagement factors with millennials is who the direct supervisor is, and the leadership styles that 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 direct supervisor brings to the table, and that's that's
0: that's powerful, especially as we talk about leadership here today. Is there one management styles that millennials are seeking out more than others? Um, That's also a good question. As a leader, as
1: a manager, and as a leader, as a supervisor, you have to understand who you're working with and everybody, even if you try to put everybody into the same buckets, people are still going to bring like their sub um, ideas and beliefs to the table. But a lot of the discussions kind of go around servant leadership and, and, and traits that come along with servant leadership. Um, Millennials want to be mentored. They want to be coached. They want to see where their, what I call a progression plan is taking them. You know, how do you, how do you move from, from, Level A employment to level level B employment. So, you know, how do you make strides in your own career? Um, but they also just want to know that you trust them and, and you're going to look out for them. Which means sometimes a good leader understands that you take the fall for the, the employee as well. <clears throat> if something goes wrong, like you, you show you build that trust by by building those those relationships and showing them that you're there to support them so that they can have a long um, productive career.
0: One of the characteristics you identified in some of the articles you've written is uh, persistence. Can, can you talk about the idea of persistence as it relates to engagement and performance, and, and does that change across the generations?
1: Well, I think, I think when we look at it, persistence itself in the employment context, it does link back to employee engagement, and, and this is how it occurs. Um, employee engagement looks at at your willingness to help your organization succeed. And and we kind of covered that definition already. Persistence is um, how well you're going to overcome challenges um, so that you as an individual can be successful, but relating back to employee engagement, how the organization can be successful. So in the world of HRD, human resource development, we we often talk about this. the field of human resource development looks at ways to unleash human expertise at the individual level, the group level or team and the organizational level. So there's just like three levels that come with that. Now, how does that impact persistence? Well, if you have a positive supervisor, you know, somebody that's there coaching you, that's, that's being critical, like that that's helping you to, to learn and grow. It doesn't mean I was, um, giving accolades, you know, some, it's giving constructive feedback as well on, on how to improve. If you have that trust and relationship built with your supervisor, if, if you buy into the mission and vision of the organization, if you trust your, your CEO in the direction that they're heading, um, you are, you're more likely to, to withstand um, little, little episodes of turmoil, turmoil, organizations are human-made entities right and, and anytime humans get involved we, we have a tendency to make things really good and sometimes we have a tendency to make mistakes the problem with persistence is there becomes a there becomes a cliff that that at some points you're going as an employee give up and either move on or get out of the marketplace or worse yet stay at the organization and just become de-engaged which is the opposite of engaged. That will more frequently occur when you have supervisors that aren't building those relationships, that's not building employee engagement, um, and that's where employees don't feel like their organization is looking out for their best interest.
0: So they become de engaged, the relationship has devolved, they're not moving forward, and, and they become de engaged. Can that be turned around or is that an individual decision? They have to invest or is it both parties coming together? Well, that's, that's a good question.
1: Again, um, the tricky point of that is what drives motivation. Um, so most authors and researchers and leaders would say motivation is often driven by the individual. So I used to be a, a high school basketball coach, and we would have this discussion a lot. Like, how do we get how do we get students to to be motivated to to excel on the basketball court? And really, what we found in, in that scenario was we as coaches try to give every possible um, tool that that the the student or the athlete needed to be motivated. You know, praise. Um, constructive criticism a vision of where we're going um, collaboration um, but ultimately let down to to the employee and we see that it's interesting we see that in the business environment too so motivation will be driven by the individual but it but I really believe leaders need to provide the tools so that the employee can make that that decision to be motivated at the workplace like come in um, on a Monday morning after a cup of coffee and be eager and ready to go because you know you're going to see your supervisor and the supervisor is going to have a, a smile on their face. And and you know that what you're producing at your organization is doing the world good or doing your sector well. And, and you're going to go home at the end of the day and feel of worth, right? So to answer your question, it it it's with both. Uh, but ultimately, um, both... The leader and, and the employee has to make the choice um,
0: to be to be motivated. So, the company and the the leader, the manager, supervisor, they provide help to provide the environment, but the individual has to show up. If, if they're not willing to, because you like you said, we provided coaching, feedback, we had a vision where we're going, we had collaboration. But if that individual basketball player doesn't want to engage and participate in the drills and the practices. Then they're not going to play their best when it comes time for for game time as well. How important is social, um, you know, social emotional o- awareness and emotional intelligence when it comes to leading, especially in regards to the next generation? Yeah. So when you look at
1: emotional intelligence and we look at social intelligence, um, it really comes down to like situational awareness. How do how do people perceive my actions? but also how do you perceive their actions? So when you talk about motivation, um, sometimes maybe you just didn't hire the right person for the job, right? Something, something was went a, went negative in the hiring process. Um, and, and you kind of want to take a look at that to say, uh, what, what can we do better next time? Like maybe we didn't provide a complete picture of what the job description is, so who we are as an organization. Um, or maybe we didn't develop a model of what type of employee that, that we're actually looking for. But if you do develop that model and you do hire the right candidates, and then something goes goes away three, four, five years down the road, and, and what you saw as a very productive employee is now becoming a very unproductive employee or a de-engaged employee, you need to sit back and take take have a thoughtful discussion with that employee to say as an employee as a as a mentor as a coach now is saying you know we notice that that it seems like you're you're struggling at work a little bit or maybe not as content as you were previously and then often what you find out is in those types of cases it's not a situation at work Um, it's, it's most likely a situation at home that you might be able to have some Um, support or provide support. Or if you find out that it's something at work and maybe it's just been escalating over time and then something started off with something so small that you can get back and fix it. Because remember, if you use your emotional emotional intelligence, if you use your social awareness, which relates back to social intelligence as well, um, you want to retain your good employees. And we do have ups and downs. And, And recognizing that you have a very good employee that has a down streak take the time to build it because if you have that trust and relationship you should be able to have that open discussion to say what can I do to help help fix this for you and sometimes it comes down to the the discussion that well maybe the organization isn't right for you but what type of organization is right for you and how can I help you
0: to move into that
1: that spot that that you really strive for and that that again goes back to the servant leadership
0: totally you mentioned the idea of having an open discussion. You brought up the idea of bringing the, the naysayers and people who are uh, critical and, and are willing to, to share their thoughts and feelings. You know, one of the issues that you addressed recently in an article that you had shared with me, also from LinkedIn, was about the role of HR and the issue of handling the the polarizing factors that are out there, and because they do exist, and we live in a polarized world. Any quick tips or suggestions on whether or not it is more productive to bring those conversations into the fold in a corporation or to leave them at the door?
1: Yeah, so, that, so when we go back to employee engagement, we go back to trust, um, and that all leads to increased production. So if we go back to a simple theory of speed of trust, um, which is, is probably a book that a lot of us have read, um, when trust goes up, production goes up at the same time right so when we're looking at at the discussion of polarized worlds um, i believe that we need to have discussions within the workplace and that should be easy to do if you've already established those relationships early on where people can feel at home at, at work where they could feel like they can um, constructively but critically talk about what what they're feeling outside of work, Um, but obviously in a constructive manner. I don't believe, I come from a leadership world where I don't believe that people just leave their stress at the door when they walk into the organization. Some, Some do believe that, and some of that goes back to different leadership styles. I believe that if we can minimize some of that stress that they're feeling in the outside world, we'll probably be able to have more production inside my business, inside my organization. So how do we do that? One is give people a venue to talk. Allow people to have the opportunity, maybe like in a townhouse um, situation, where people could just talk about the topics that, that's occurring. If you think about today, what's, what's occurring in our world? We have, we have politics occurring. We have the national election that's coming up. Um, we have, we have um, the coronavirus and, and people becoming sick. Um, we have the discussion that's going on with the Supreme Court. Um, and, and then we have sectors within, business sectors within our industries that are, are failing because, because of things that are happening. So it's almost like we have a, a perfect storm that's aligned. And, and by giving the people the chance to talk and help inform each other, um, take take the topic of, of racial tension. Uh, I, I live about twenty minutes north of, of Kenosha, Wisconsin, and, and a couple weeks ago we had um, a shooting that occurred—a police shooting—with um, with an individual, and, and that sparked protests and, and destructive um, destruction that occurred. And and walking around even stores trying to buy stuff, um, I heard people talking very passionate about how they felt and, and a lot of it was we don't understand what's occurring or we don't understand what's happening so i believe from an hr world if you give the people the opportunity to, to talk and the time you're gonna be that much more productive on the backside, right they're gonna be able to to come and, and speak with you training training about different lenses that that we may not be used to um, the discussion that comes up low on this is how much time do we give because time is money? And, and I try to make the arguments and, and research will, will back this up is if you take that time on the front end, you'll get your dividends on, on the back end of it. So um, I do believe of opening that door safely and constructively to, to have deep and powerful
0: discussions
1: which would, which should improve the feeling of safety and security
0: for each employee. I think a lot of what you just said really ties together a lot of the concepts you've shared so far, uh, servant leadership, open, honest communication, authenticity, creating a space for people's voices to be heard, establishing trust all together in that space. The, the constraint I, I can see is, is time, and obviously you can't spend eight hours of your eight-hour workday on that, but it sounds like a little bit of effort up front is going to re-solidify, hey, I get that you're, going, you're acknowledging. You're saying, I know you're going through some stress. We're all going through some stress and we're all in the same shift together. And we can still work together even if we have different opinions because I can't imagine you're going to solve the issues of racial inequality or the the concerns around the Supreme Court justice or the national election. Like in that hour conversation or 30 minutes, it's not going to be solved, but at least it's going to be expressed. Correct.
1: And if you if you build upon it over time, right, it's it's maybe 30 minutes, 45 minutes here over um Kringle or some sort of like sweet treat and coffee or healthy food, depending on what your employees want. Um, if you build upon it over time, then, then it's not a six hour day. It's not a, it's not an eight hour day. You're working on these topics. It's you may be able to get them down to 10 or 15 minute days, right? Or maybe some, maybe my other theory is if you start training people on how to have these discussions, they can take over some of these discussions on their own during um, breaks and during lunchtime or just um, after hours, right? They can do it constructively and recognize um, that everybody has their own opinions and, and recognize that it's not about the opinion that that will help us become a better organization or the difference of opinions. Although I believe diversity is very important. It's about how we, it's how we work together. It's how we trust each other. It's how we recognize that I need you so that I can be successful. And, and we need the next person so that the whole organization be, can be successful. And we can do that through a diverse field of, of lenses.
0: So giving your employees the tools, like you said, the people near where you live, they're saying, like, I don't know what to make of it. I'm trying to understand it and helping them have the tools to, to process and communicate more effectively. What are some tools in general that you think that the next generation of leaders are really going to need? going forward in, in the world that that is emerging right now?
1: Yeah. So it's, it's ability to transform. It's ability to recognize what you may be learning in your MBA program um, may be sufficient for today. uh, But recognizing that you got to stay on top of it. You got to, you got to recognize that as the Gen Z generation is starting to get in the workforce, Um, There's a good chance you're going to be working with the generation that comes behind Gen Z's. And and how are you positioned to do that? Um, Which is why when we do a lot of one-on-one executive type coaching, we talk about um, the importance of coaching, the importance of mentorship of of their staff, and, and the importance of being authentic. Because if you really want what's in the best interest of your employees, and you recognize that you may not have all the answers, that you're going to be able to transform in time. If you if you put down your coffee cup, as the old vision of the old manager. If you put down your coffee cup and say, "I know it all, kid. You're you're 19 years old. You just got out of college, which would be an awesome feat being 19 right out of college." Let's <laughs> just say you just got right out of college. Um, sit back and learn. How's that? How's that new employee going to respond when we know when we know that they want to be part of the conversation? So the new leaders. That are going to be successful are going to find ways for all employees to be part of the discussion, and and recognize that their opinion should matter in coming up with a new design, um, coming up with a new process. And it's interesting when we go in and we meet with some businesses, we hear from some of the employees about what some of the struggles are, and sometimes it's innovation, and then it's even more amazing that six, eight months down the road, that that company is struggling because now they haven't evolved and now they're just finding it out. But if they would have taken the time to just sit back and listen to their, their employees, um, it could keep them out of bankruptcy.
0: I think a lot of the tools that you shared can help with that to help avoid those, uh, difficult scenarios from occurring, which goes all the way back to scenario planning and the what ifs and risk reduction and things like that. You know, communication conversations are, are a huge part of leadership you know, Matt, can you tell us what is, on, on a personal level, can you think of a, a conversation that you may have had that had perhaps the most significant impact on your life, either personally or professionally? It's very interesting that that you ask that. And, and when I've been asked that question in the past,
1: the first scenario always pops up or the first discussion always pops up. When I was 18 years old, I had a, a mentor and I just got into a public sector and, you know, position and um, that supervisor asked me, he "Goes, where do you want to be in, in 20 years?" And I, I said, "I want to be a leader." And you know, I just got out of 4 I You know, I was I was doing things on a state level and, and helping things on a national level to to help the organization grow. And I want to do that here. And his comment was, "Take the time to learn how to be an an employee. Take the time to to figure out what the employees want." Um, because if you take the time to understand that you're going to become a stronger leader at the end. And now that I look 20 years back, that was very insightful discussions because I had the opportunity to get involved with a union, which I didn't know much about a union at that time. Um, Had the opportunity to hear concerns that were expressed from like a a management employees uh, vision. Um, So that, that now that I'm in the op- in the field that I am, and I I could talk about both sides. I could talk about what it's like to be that employee um, that may not have had a college education at that point, and and now I can communicate with uh, CFOs and CEOs that may have graduated from Harvard um, from from my doctoral side and, and and other experiences. So I think it's just taking that time, you know, yeah. taking that time to understand. Um, the other point, the other reference point, um, so that that
0: you can help them in the long run. Fantastic, that's great advice. Got to learn how to follow before you can learn how to lead. That's amazing. Right. What um, What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you, stay in touch with you, and and find out more about um, what you're doing?
1: Yeah, that's a uh, thanks for asking that. So, i um, always open up for discussions. Uh, feel free to get a hold of me on LinkedIn. It's it a good way from from connecting that way. Um, Another way to get a hold of me is through our consulting service. We just opened up a new consulting business in, in June. It's called uh, uh, Morph Advisors. Um, so we, we transitioned from High Horizon to Morph Advisors just recently. And part of that is um, we are working with uh, my, my co founder. is truly in the millennial range and experiences and, um, he brings a whole different insight to, to our consulting service. So that's, so that's www.morphadvisors.com. Um, so that's why we call it Morph Advisors. Um, or you can get a hold of me at mhertini at morphadvisors.com.
0: Fantastic. Dr. Matt, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for your time. Take care, John. Wonderful. And for all of you listening, thank you so much for being here and joining us on Key Conversations for Leaders. Until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. For more tools to engage, inspire, and empower yourself and others, visit keycombo.com free. If you haven't already, you can connect with me on Twitter at Key Combo and on LinkedIn under John Ryan Leadership.